We're at Deuteronomy 5, which contains the Ten Commandments. I went for a walk this morning around the property, and I couldn't believe how many cars were in the wrong driveways. You understand, of course, those out on the telephone might not, we might get all kinds of rumors started. Good thing the weather turned off cooler, we might have a golden calf and be dancing. <clears throat> no, in the interest of temporary dwellings, people have swapped houses, some of them, for the feast, so uh, I don't know where anybody lives. It's, uh, you have to look people up, look for the cars, and try to find out where they're staying which is is a good thing. Anyway, let's go to Deuteronomy 5 and pick it up there. Someone mentioned that uh, with what we've seen so far in Deuteronomy, (coughs) the book Stephen Collins wrote, Ten Lost Tribes, is a very good companion reading for this uh, particular series. And I, I think that's certainly true because he goes into a lot of the evidence that Israelites were here early on, uh, long before the world is ready to admit that Israelites were here. Uh, I think the biggest error he makes is one that we all made, and that is the direction of travel. I think they went from here to there and back again, and then from here to there, and then back again. Whereas uh, he still thinks it started all of it over there, and they came here from time to time. But that story will all come about and be verified one way or another soon, but it does show an early Israelite appearance here, no matter which direction they were traveling. And it's a well-done book. Anyway, getting into Deuteronomy 5, Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel! The statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. We see this quoted in the New Testament several times, not the hearers only, but the doers. It's amazing when you go through some of these books how many very similar remarks were made in the New Testament. Because it seems that the human problems we have always continue, that generation to generation to generation, human beings have essentially the same problems that human beings have always had. So here again, it's good review for us and something God commands to be done, and I think that that certainly applies to the end time as well as it did down through the ages with ancient Israel, who, for the most part, never did do what Moses said, and that is read the book of Deuteronomy, during the Feast of Tabernacles every seven years. Remember, we already read there in Ezra that they read the law of God at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they had not kept the booths and probably kept the Feast of Tabernacles since Joshua took them into the land, long, long before that. So Israel very quickly departed from the ways of God, There were renewals now and then, but they didn't last long. We had a renewal here in the end time that lasted less than 70 years and basically disappeared, except for a few. 
The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Eternal made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. So they made the covenant at Sinai, at Horeb, and it had been made with their fathers and with these children who had now grown up. Fathers were all basically dead now, uh, but the children had been there. They saw, heard, and witnessed it, and they're being reminded as they were about to be again blessed by God, what to do when those blessings arrive. And we ourselves find ourselves on the very edge of history where God is about to extend his hand again, turn his face to his people, and begin to bless them. One of human beings' biggest problems is being able to handle blessings. Sometimes we handle adversity actually better than we do blessing. Adversity causes us to get on our knees. It causes us to cry out for help. And that's why he has put adversity upon us now, to get us to turn to him with our whole hearts. So he's using adversity to get us to change our hearts and minds so that we are then in a position to be able to handle blessing. We keep saying, well, when's God going to bless? Maybe a lot of it has to do when we're, with when we're ready to be blessed. It does us no good to give us something we can't handle. It's like giving a 16-year-old a shiny new car. He may be old enough by the law <clears throat> to have it, but is he old enough and mature enough to handle it properly and not wreck it and not drive it too fast and lose his license with tickets and on and on and on? Is he ready for that blessing? I was 16 when I had my first accident. Ran into the back of a car because I was looking at some girls going by. <laughs> Hate to admit that. Just the way it was. My dad was not really happy. And I thought I was going to get wailed on until I couldn't stand up. And that would have been a blessing compared to what he did do. He just sat there and looked at me. For probably a good half hour, seemed like a lot longer than that. And then he said, do you think you could take the pickup and go milk the cow without wrecking it? That's all he said. No, I was not ready for the blessing of being able to drive. So in case you think I'm persecuting you if you're turning 16 or just past, I'm not. Been there, done that. Usually what I say, I have a reason for having said it, you know. <clears throat> anyway, God wants us not only to hear them, but to keep them and do them. The eternal our God made a covenant. He didn't make it with you, uh, them made it with you. You're alive this day. Verse 5, the eternal talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of midst of the fire. I stood between the Eternal and you at that time to show you the word of the Eternal. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mountain, saying, 
And then that's, here's what God said. They were afraid of God. We all want to be close to God. Everybody says, I want to be close to God. But then when God draws close to us, suddenly there's a different feeling in the air. God is awesome and fearsome. And every human being that has ever encountered God, whether it be in a burning bush or an angel or whatever, when spiritual beings, righteous ones, appeared, it scared people. They didn't like that. Anyway, here's what God said. I am the eternal your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And we have to examine our lives and see what we might be putting before or ahead of God. No other gods. We wouldn't have leering idols, would we? That we manufactured ourselves. No, we know better than that. But Americans have adopted, have adopted many gods in many forms. And I've said it many times, and probably will say it again, anything that we put ahead of God and His Word becomes an idol to us. It's that simple. You shall not make you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them, nor serve them. It's not just bowing down, but it includes not serving them either. Not doing with them what you should be doing with God. For I, the Eternal, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, or those that rebel against me and don't follow my ways. Now, you've seen people get jealous before, haven't you? But God's jealousy extends to the third and fourth generation. Well, he is quite capable of really being jealous. <clears throat> now, why is he jealous? He's jealous because he cares about us. He loves us. He wants us to be with him. And we start going a different direction, that really ticks him off. Now, we could probably easily spend a sermon on each one of these ten, and maybe a series. I'm not going to do that. I want to get on through Deuteronomy as the purpose here, but it's a good review. <clears throat> Verse 10, And showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I always find it very interesting that probably there were millions of Israelites present at Mount Sinai. And he addressed the commandments to millions of people, but the way he worded it is very significant. He said he extends mercy to thousands who obey. Now there were millions there, and we have hundreds of millions of Israelites today, but the commandments are still only being kept by a few thousand. God knew exactly what he was doing when he worded this very carefully to reflect what would happen. Only a few thousand. <clears throat> Verse 11, You shall not take the name of your eternal God in vain, 
for the Eternal will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Now, taking it in vain is not just cursing, but taking it in vain is to say, I will follow God and not. Because then it's hypocrisy and vanity to claim you are spiritual when you aren't. When you're going a different way, doing different things, and claiming to be of God. That is taking his name in vain in a much deeper way than even cursing. Not that that's good, but taking it in vain means using it as vanity with no real purpose. Fruitless, in other words. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it or set it apart as the eternal your God has commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the eternal your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your ass, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates, and your manservant and your maidservant may rest as well as you. So not only you and your family, but your business, all that you do is supposed to shut down on the Sabbath, and any employees you might have are to shut down as well. That's why we are limited in the type of businesses we can run, it even limits us, I think, to a great degree in the kind we can manage for someone else. Because if we are the manager, then we're assigning people to be working on the Sabbath. And I think that that breaks it in spirit. Verse 15, And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Eternal your God brought you out of there through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Eternal, your God, commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. I think there is an additional proof that they came out of Egypt on a Sabbath day. They were sprung on Passover night, told to leave. And they began packing up to leave the very next day on the Sabbath Honor your father and your mother, as the eternal your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you in the land which the eternal your God gives you. We've often said that this is the first commandment with promise. It's, it's not really. It's the first one that has promise mentioned in it, but the others certainly have it there as well. Uh, he promises <laughs> to visit the iniquity if we disobey, and uh, there are many explanations of God's blessings if we put him first. So keeping God as our true God has many blessings attached to it, even though they may not be enumerated here. But this is a two-part blessing spoken of in honoring your father and your mother. Uh, we've said that you might have long life that your life might not be cut off short because you do honor your father and your mother. But it also says that things might be well with you in life. So it is a promise not only of longer life, but of better life as well. 
Now, obviously, this is speaking to young people whose parents themselves honor God. Because if they weren't honoring God, then the children would not even be hearing the laws of God. But it's parents who are teaching those children the laws of God who have opportunity to take advantage of this promise. I'm speaking general terms. There are a few children who will open the Bible in spite of their parents and begin to study it, whether their parents are interested in it or not. But that's an anomaly. It's unusual. Okay, moving on. You shall not do murder, neither shall you commit adultery, neither shall you steal, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. Those are pretty self-explanatory, short and sweet. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's wife, neither shall you covet your neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, his ass, or anything that is your neighbor's. So he explains that a little more in detail so that we don't get it wrong. Uh, He includes a lot of different things there we're not to uh, covet. Okay, so very quickly then, we can go through the Ten Commandments. Christ even shortened them to two, love God and love your neighbor. First and second uh, is a summary of this, but that's not good enough for us for the most part. Uh, We need the whole thing spelled out for us, and then we need this whole book to further explain it, because we'll find ways around it or forget it or not know how to apply it. We need wisdom. And there are many, many examples in this book of how the ways and the laws of God should be applied. And then Moses goes into some of that in the remainder of this book. He reminds them of some more history as well. Anyways, that's what he does in verse 22. These words the Eternal spoke to all all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them in two tablets of stone and delivered them to me. It should have been enough. He wrote no more. This should have been enough, if we were really paying attention and thinking. It came to pass, when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near to me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said... Behold, eternal our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does talk with man, and he lives. It is possible to have a contact with God and survive it. They had seen that. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the eternal our God any more Then we shall die. So they'd heard it. They survived it. They heard the law. And I guess they were afraid, A, that he might come back and say more, but maybe even B, that if he did come back, it would be because of disobedience, and he would be angry, and they wouldn't survive it. That implication could be here. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? 
It happened once. Could it happen again? It was a question in their minds. They were also scared. They didn't want to hear it again. We don't like to be put in fear. We don't like pressure. Verse 27, Go you near. <clears throat> you go, Moses. And hear all that the eternal our God shall say, and speak you to us all that the eternal our God shall speak to you, and we will hear it and do it. <clears throat> sure you will. And the eternal heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the eternal said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They have well said all that they have spoken. Yes, I am fearful. Yes, it is scary. There is a possibility they won't survive. They have good reason to be afraid. Verse 29. Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, <clears throat> that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Yeah, God saw. God saw their fear. He saw their concern. But he also saw that being human, they probably would not live up to what they were saying. I think the wind's going to blow. <laughs> I don't know whether we'll have a volcano blow up out there and we'll have to fear or not. But Anyway, he said, go say to them, get you into your tents again. All right, you've been out here, you've had your say. God is concerned that you won't do what you said you'd do. Now go to your tents. But as for you, stand you here by me and I will speak to you. All the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land which I give them to possess it. So God already knew that they would not live up to the Ten Commandments, and he gave them then a supportive group of judgments and statutes, laws, that they were to live by, <clears throat> which would be a reminder to keep the law. Now, Paul spoke of it in Galatians as if it were a school teacher. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments weren't the school teacher. They were the commands of God which existed then and which still exist to this day, and which the New Testament church and the apostles looked to, quoted from, and quoted the summary of Christ of them. Those were very much still in effect. It was some of these statutes and ordinance and sacrifices and things of that nature that God knew they would need as a school teacher to help them comprehend and keep the Ten Commandments, which were his ironclad law, and to this day still are, not done away at all. And even these statutes... Though some of them, such as the sacrifices, were not required to do today, now that Christ has superseded them, still have some lessons for us. They still have things we can learn from them as written, as opposed to having to go out and kill the animals ourselves, because we do have Him to remove our sin. 
We have Him to forgive. We have the Holy Spirit to remind. But that doesn't mean that there's not an awful lot back here that was written down for us upon whom the ends of the world have come that we might have better understanding and and be reminded of. So he says, as you go into the land, these are the things that you must keep in mind. And here we are about to go into the land again. Poised on the edge. It's going to happen very soon now. I'm not going to try to predict when in terms of weeks, months, or years, but very soon. Verse 32, You shall observe to do, therefore, as the eternal your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. We are constantly reminding you, don't go the way of the world. Don't turn into their path. Don't go to the right hand. Don't go to the left. Go right down the middle where God's law, His statutes, tell us we are supposed to live. You shall walk in all the ways which the eternal your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Now, we are going to see a microcosm of the way the whole world tomorrow will be very shortly. At the end of this age, I do believe that. And you children will go into it with us, if you're not rebellious children. But you then will go in to possess the whole world. And these are the laws God wants you to follow. So you begin to see why he doesn't want you out dating and being involved with this world. Because they don't live by the commandments of God. They don't even pretend to. They just do whatever they want and whatever feels good and seems right to the human body. That's the code they live by. And if you are to inherit the earth, you cannot live that way. But if you're around it, you will not pull them up to your standard or God's standard. They will pull you down to Satan's standard. That's the way it works. Now, you may be a bit naive. You may think you can convert somebody. Forget about it. It won't happen. Only God can call. You can't. Keep that in mind, please lest you be swept into the vortex of this world and flushed out of sight. You have wonderful opportunity ahead of you. Wonderful opportunity. Believe it. Do the things that will make it happen. If you will walk in the ways which God commanded, you will live long in the land that you are about to go into possess. That's a promise. Chapter 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the eternal your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. So we should have our ears tuned right in, knowing that we're about to go into a promised time in the promised land. Very soon. What does he say first? That you might fear the eternal your God 
to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. says it again. If you will do these things, your days will be prolonged. If you don't do these things, you will die with the world and the Holocaust that is about to hit. That's thunder too, not just wind. Maybe we'll get some rain. Verse 3, Hear you therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with you, and you, that you may increase mightily, as the eternal God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. We're right on the edge of the millennium being here, a land of milk and honey. And having children and families during that blessed time of peace on this earth. What a thing to look forward to when the rest of the world is beginning to see the wheels come off the little red wagon. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. And then they're going to go into war and famine and pestilence and disease. That's where they're headed. You don't have to go there. Hear, O Israel, the eternal our God is one God, one Lord. And you shall love the eternal your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That means your whole being is how you're supposed to love God and hang on to the things of God. He is the source of all blessing. He is the source of all creation. Look around at the things God has created and realize how magnificent He is. The beautiful things in the mountains and the things that we enjoy observing and living in and being part of. We go to the mountains for a camp out because we love the trees and we love the sky and we love the smells and we just love that part of the creation. So we go to those places. But don't let it be lost upon us where those places came from. And love God with all your might. Imagine yourself in a raging river with just a little piece of inflated plastic to hold you up from drowning. And how you would cling to that. And you would hope with all your heart and with every breath that you might yet again take that it doesn't pop out of your hands and you drown. You will cling to it with every fiber of your being to keep from drowning. And that's how we're supposed to love God. With all your might. And these words, which I command you this day, shall be in your heart. The seat of your emotions and feelings. In your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Not once in a while, not half-heartedly. You shall teach them diligently to your children. He lays a responsibility on us. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The ways of God are to be central to our lives 
And it's something God wants us talking about with our children. Not just about what happened on the last episode of whatever TV program we might like. Or, you know, whatever inane thing we might speak about. Now, it's not wrong to talk of human material things about us. But the central part of our life and our teachings should be just what Moses said here. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. Something right in front of your eyes. Not something that you look at now and then, but why does he have to put it this way? Because he knew the history of Israel, he knew the history from Adam on down until his day, and he knew that people tend to set aside the commandments of God to bypass them, and then need them right in front of their eyes. A focus, in other words. You shall write them on the posts of your house and on your gates, and it shall be when the eternal your God shall have brought you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you build not. Makes me wonder if we'll have some towns and cities that are already built, but we don't have to build because they will be vacated before us. We'll read more about that as we go on. And houses full of all good things, which you filled not, and wells digged, which you digged not, vineyards and olive trees, which you planted not, when you shall have eaten and be full. God says, Keep your eyes on my ways. Keep your eyes focused on my laws because you're about to be blessed. And with blessing comes responsibility. Then beware, lest you forget the eternal which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt or Babylon. From the house of bondage. We are being delivered from the house of bondage. The sinful system of this world, and more specifically now, Babylon as well. Babylon and Egypt. And yet we want to lean on it. We want to go back to it. We want to make friends in it. We want to consort with those out there. We have so much trouble giving up what God has said is sinful. First sign of trouble when they went out of the desert, a lot of the Israelites said, we want to go back. We want those things we're leaving behind. Can't give them up. Beware when you're blessed. You shall fear the eternal your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. Do you know what those gods of the people round about you are? Maybe you ought to make a list. Figure out what the gods of America are. And don't go there. What do Americans put between them and God? 
You can do a study on that. I could name a bunch probably right here now, but I don't want to take the time. This may be something you should sort out yourself anyway. Because you will find that many of the gods you can enumerate of the people around us are the same gods you worshipped and served yourselves, ourselves. For the Eternal your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Eternal your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. Ninety percent of the church of God, even, is about to be destroyed off the face of the earth. Nine out of ten church members that we knew and loved in our past. And most physical Israelites and Gentiles as well. The population of this earth is going to be reduced from six and a half billion to apparently one hundred million. The whole earth's population would be about between a third and a fourth the population of the United States today. The whole earth. Over nine out of ten people living in this country today are going to die within the next few years. That's the bottom line might be good to understand that jealous God is a jealous God. And he is extremely jealous of us who know his ways than he is of anyone else. We're not nearly as jealous over someone else's children as we are our own, are we? You don't worry about other people's kids as much as you worry about your own. We're God's kids, even more so than the people around us. And he's more jealous of us than he is anyone else. And that means that his anger and his retribution will be greater against us than against anyone else. If we disobey. Of course, we're not going to, are we? We're going to hear, and we're going to hit fear, and we're going to heed God, and we're going into blessings untold, aren't we? That's where we're going. Focus. Make up your mind. That's where I'm going. Now, if you love God in His ways with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, then you are focused. And you have made up your mind where you are going, and you're not going to let hell or high water stop you, are you? No. You've made up your mind. I'm not going to sit on the fence, which can get uncomfortable. I know where I'm going. And I will get there. I will do it with all my might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. You kids want to live in a beautiful world, the millennium of God, with peace and safety and security and happy homes and children? Then go for it! 
Don't fool around. Don't get sidetracked by this world. Go for God. Go for peace, for happiness, security, good marriages, and happy children, and good jobs. It's right there in front of you. Verse 16, you shall not tempt the eternal your God as you tempted him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the eternal your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You know, it's not a good feeling to be thinking, I wonder if God is going to come down on me. Have you ever felt that? I certainly have. I wonder if he will show mercy or he will come down on me. That is not a position that I relish. I feel like a grasshopper on a pin at that point. I'd rather be clear over on the right side and not put myself in that position. But we do it now and again, don't we? And you shall do that which is right and good in the sight of the Eternal, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Eternal swore to your fathers. I do believe with all my heart that God is about to give us this good land which he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He gave to the Puritans. We didn't stay very pure. And now those who are purifying themselves are going to be given it again. Is the history going to be better this time? Will it change? Will it go the way it has always gone? Or will it be different? We hold the keys in our hand. Which way are we going to drive this thing? You see, these people that he was telling all this to went into the good land under Joshua and they didn't stay good very long themselves. It was just a short while when they departed. We're being given the opportunity here at the end, the last time, to do it right. Well, I, I won't say that. People in the millennium and the great white throne judgment will give an opportunity again. Their first real opportunity. But you know what? It would be a whole lot better for them if God could point and say, Look, these had the opportunity to put me first, to do things my way, and they are now the bride of my son. They are living without tears or pain or misery or frustration or depression or despondence of any kind. They're just as happy as a clam at high tide. That means they smile clear back to here. And this could be you. That would be nice to show them, wouldn't it? And some of you have friends and relatives that have died without God's way 
And you'd love to see them in the resurrection. I can think of my grandparents and various ones in my family I'd, I really want to see again. And I want to be able to teach them things that they ridiculed me for when I was a kid. Whole bacon under your nose. And things of that nature. Verse 19, he'll take you into the good land which he swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the eternal has spoken. Doesn't he say that he will go before us and take care of us and he'll make us a sharp threshing instrument and our enemies will flee from us? Those are in prophecies in Joel and in Micah and in all the end time prophecies. Not just Deuteronomy where those Israelites are going into the land but it's written to us who are about to go into the land. We don't have time to tie all that together today, but we've been there and read those things, haven't we? So now it's time to read it again here. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the eternal our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We were slaves in the United States of America under Satan's system. And God brought us out of it and blessed us and gave us things that Americans could only dream of. You know, the American dream was of peace, of prosperity, of happy homes, of opportunity to make money and wealth. That's what the American dream was really all about. Now it is fast disappearing. It's hard to even find a job, much less one that gives you any opportunity to do anything but put gas in the car and barely make it to work and back. And God is offering us the American dream, the Israelite dream, the dream that if Israel would obey God, they would receive every blessing under the sun. That should be the American dream, but we've lost sight of it. Don't know what it is anymore. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. You will be able to read that verse right there very shortly and show with your eyes that you have seen the terrible things God is about to do on our land and upon the Babylonians who inhabit it, and show the blessings that he has poured out upon you. That's where we are. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to give us any land except that which he gave to our fathers. Guaranteed, sworn in by God on his word. That's the land we're going to have. Now, you may not be convinced exactly where that is, and you, and you may. But wherever it is, that's what we're going to get. Because he says so. And the Eternal commanded us to, to do all these statutes, to fear the Eternal our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. 
Read Matthew 24. Read Luke 21. Read the things that are about to come down. The famine, the pestilence, the disease. And how it is only by the grace of God that we are to pray to be accounted worthy to escape all these things that are about to come down. Written for today. For us as individuals. We're the ones that need to be praying that we be accounted worthy because the escape has to come within the next few years or we will die with the rest of America. That's just the way it is. He is able to preserve us alive today, just as it was in Moses' day, or in Israel's day as they came from Egypt, or in Noah's day as he destroyed the earth at that time. And it should be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the eternal our God as he has commanded us. You know, I think Moses must have been speaking these things very fervently because he knew the history and he knew the dangers of being blessed and going into a land that God would give them and how easy it is to depart when we are full. Chapter 7, When the eternal your God shall bring you into the land, whether you go to possess it, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. We look around at the world today and we see all kinds of nations made it mightier and greater, greater than us. We see federal governments and counties and cities and States that are mightier than us. We see churches that are mightier than us. We see, we see all kinds of people out there who have more power, more strength than we have. The only thing we have going for us is God Almighty. That's all we have going for us. And you know what? That's enough. That's all we need. That's all we need. Hang on to him diligently. Don't let him get away. And don't get away from him. Because that's the only thing that can save yourself. And when the eternal your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Now, isn't that pretty much what he tells the two witnesses they have to do? To bring plagues? To literally kill them, probably by the millions. And not to have mercy. Because they are in defiance of Almighty God. And the only way they're going to learn any other way is through death and destruction. See, the New World Order sees the same problem. They understand that there are way too many people on this earth under present conditions to sustain it as it is. So they apparently have avowed themselves to reduce the population by 90%. That's what they have planned for the earth. So that 
more land for fewer people and less smoke and less smog and less junk and less difficulty. You know, they're right. I can't say they're wrong about that. God also recognizes that 90% of the population needs to die, actually more than 90%. But the new world order would bring in their rule, which will be an ungodly, unlawful rule, meant to give plenty to the fat cats at the top, and the rest will make gugaws for them. Now, God is going to do what the New World Order thinks they are going to do, but He is going to be a righteous ruler, and we will be righteous with Him, and will reign on the earth that thousand years, and we will give people opportunity and freedom and life and liberty with opportunity beyond measure. There's where the difference comes. Those leaders of this world under Satan want something where they are king tut and you are a slave. That's the kind of rule there would be. Just as it's happened in Russia, just as it's happened in Germany, just as it's beginning to happen right here. Taking our money and giving it away to banks, to other countries, taking it from us, that the fat cats might have it all and you be reduced to minimum wage and maybe less. Can you see that happening? Can you feel it? Some of you have had your incomes reduced to that already. And more is coming. Our leaders in Washington are selling us out. Are you going to be sold out or are you going to cling to God? Because there is your only hope for any kind of peace, happiness, and security in the future. The only hope we have. Because this thing is coming and it will happen. The image that Nebuchadnezzar built in Daniel is coming up. And it will rule the earth times of the Gentiles for three and a half years. We have a period of time before that to do a work for God. And then it will arise. And God's church will go nose to nose against it and fight it. Which side do you want to be on? Make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Neither shall your marriages shall you make marriages with them. Your daughter shall not give unto his son, or you shall not give to his son, nor his daughter shall you take to your son. We're not to marry in the world. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 7. Don't become unequally yoked with the world. He was speaking specifically of marriage. For they will turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. What did I say earlier? 
They will pull you down. You will not bring them up. God has shown and decreed right here that that's the way it works. And you cannot reverse that. That is the way things happen. I've seen people through the years in the church try to convert someone for themselves. It doesn't work. And if they promise anything to you to get what they want, later on they will turn from it because it's not of the heart. It's a, an empty promise to get what they're after, and we won't go into that. They will turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the eternal be kindled against you, and destroy you suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. We will be commissioned in the next years, to go against this world and to tear down their idols, to destroy them. I do believe that some of the plagues, some of the things that are wreaked upon this world, will be those very things. It is the things they love, enjoy, and therefore worship that will be taken away from them. By absolute miracle of God, by burning and fire and turning to blood and various other ways of doing it, just as it was done in Egypt. God destroyed the gods of Egypt. They worshipped frogs, so he gave them frogs. They worshipped the lice, so he gave them lice. They worshipped the rivers, so he turned it to blood. He took away their gods. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For you are an holy people unto the eternal your God. The eternal your God has chosen you to be a special people. The way it's put in the New Testament is a particular or a redeemed people, not peculiar. We're a little odd, but that's not what word was intended to be used there. Special, redeemed, set aside, sanctified. If Christ has engaged us to marry him, then he has set us aside as pretty special. He's not marrying some of those out there. He's marrying us. That's special. Unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth, the Eternal did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. They started out with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, had 70 by the time they went into Egypt, maybe three and a half million when they came out, more or less. And a lot of them died in the desert. There were plenty of peoples that were bigger than them. There are peoples who are far greater in number than Israelites physically today. And when you come down to spiritual Israel, it's just a small little handful of all the people on the earth. So it wasn't because we were great and wonderful, big in numbers, but because the Eternal loved you and because... Uh, he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, has eternal brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know therefore that the eternal your God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. It isn't because we're great that God has called us here, given us opportunity. I think when he delivers us, we'll be able to look back and say the same thing. It wasn't our righteousness. It wasn't our greatness. It was because God blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the thousandth generation. It won't be our righteousness. It will be God's forgiveness and mercy. Not because we're great. I've said for many, many years that this nation is not great and did not achieve greatness because we were great. It was because of the promise to Abraham that it would happen, and Abraham's faithfulness was carried forward many, many generations. Because we showed right after we were given this land, our heart, and it was to pursue physical things and self-gratification. That has been the American dream. Personal goals and self-gratification. Not service to mankind and giving and loving others. The American dream needs changed somewhat. Verse 10, and, be, and repays them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hates him. He will repay him to his face. Another way of saying, you reap what you sow. You therefore shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments, which I command you this day to do them. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them. We've read some pretty harsh things here, but notice the positive side too. It shall come to pass, if you hearken to these and keep and do them that the eternal your God shall keep to you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. He'll extend those blessings he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to you. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land. Wouldn't it be nice if you didn't hear about babies born with autism with cancer, with DHD and PHD and EMS and SPO and all these things that are coming upon us. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have the drugs that created all those thalidomide babies with flippers instead of hands? Imagine being a parent. Imagine being a mother and giving birth to something without feet and, hand, and legs, feet and arms hands. We've experienced that in our lifetimes here, and it's getting worse. Higher and higher percentage of kids are maladjusted, sick, and on their way to the grave the day they're born with cancer and heart disease. Yeah, that's for old people. Babies are being born with it. Wouldn't it be better to live in a world where the womb will be blessed? 
fruit of your land, your corn and your wine and your oil, and the increase of your cattle and the flocks of your sheep, and the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Everybody fertile. Not all these people showing up on Dr. Phil or somewhere else, Oprah or whatever, saying, I can't have babies. Have you got some drug that will help me? And all the maladjusted, misappropriated, frustrated, upside-down lives that you see on daily television will be gone. (coughs) The Eternal will take away from you all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you know, upon you, but will lay them upon all them that hate you. If they don't repent and they still hate you, they'll get those diseases. The millennium is supposed to be a time of happiness and peace. And we look to the Feast of Tabernacles and say, wouldn't it be wonderful to have Isaiah 11 fulfilled and those things that we often read at the feast? You don't have to go to Isaiah. It says the same thing right here in Deuteronomy. If any people will obey Him, God will bless them. And He'll put the things that they don't like on somebody else. Verse 16, And you shall consume all the people which the eternal your God shall deliver you. Your eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. If you shall say in your heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Remember how this... The, the uh, spies went into the land, 12 of them. Ten came back and said, oh man, we can't do that. And two said, let's go for it. Which kind of spy are you? We're spying out the land, aren't we? Aren't we out here looking at what God is about to give us? And has partially done so? Aren't we about to enter into those blessings when he turns his face back to us? How many of you are ready to say, let's go for it? And how many are about to say, oh, I don't know, this looks like too much for me. Man, I can't handle this. Get off the fence. Get on God's side. Love Him with all your heart and all your might. And if I'm wrong about some of the details that I think I'm reading in here, so what? If you will trust God with all your heart and obey Him with all your being, you're going to have these blessings whether it's right here or somewhere else, the blessings are promised. You shall not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Eternal your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Do we remember that now as we enter into this time when our nation is going down and they're going to start rounding people up and killing them? Do we remember the Red Sea? Do we read about the things that God has done in the past? And the promises He's made, like in Jeremiah, where He says, Your deliverance in the end time is going to be so great, you'll forget about Egypt and the Red Sea. That was pretty momentous and pretty dramatic. I will forget it. 
it is going to be so much greater here at the end time. The enemies are greater, they're worldwide. The destruction is going to be greater, it will be worldwide. The deliverance will also be more dramatic and worldwide. He's going to drag his people out of this world, a small remnant of them, and bring them to one place and bless them. What a deliverance that will be. The great temptations which your eyes saw, verse 19, and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm, whereby the eternal your God brought you out, so shall the eternal your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. He will take care of them. You don't have to worry about it. Go, dwell in the wilderness. Go even to Babylon. And there you shall be delivered. Micah 4. End time prophecy. Moreover, the eternal your God will send the hornet among them until they, they that are left and hide themselves from you be destroyed. Something as simple as hornets. People run from hornets. You have, I have. You shall not be afraid at them. What does he say in Isaiah 8? Don't be afraid of the conspiracy, the confederacy, the new world order. Don't be afraid of it. Be afraid of me. I can deliver you from them. All right. The eternal your God will put out those nations before you by little and little. You may not consume them at once, lest the beasts of the field increase upon you. But the eternal your God shall deliver them to you, and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed. And he shall deliver their kings into your hand, and you shall destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. You shall not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it to you, lest you be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the eternal your God. There will be no rock musicians and bands in the world tomorrow. There will be no television shows that degrade God's kind of society in the world tomorrow. There will be none of these things that our peoples have worshipped. There will not be a gay community in San Francisco or anywhere else. God is going to take care of that. Neither shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be a cursed thing like it. But you shall utterly detest it and shall utterly abhor it. For it is a cursed thing. Chapter 8, all the commandments which I command you this day shall you do, observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the eternal swore to your fathers. Are we ready for this? Are we ready to go in? Are we righteous? Are we ready to trust God? Are we ready to hang on to Him and trust us to take care of these things? Are we bold as a lion? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to say there's too many of them and the government's too big and the this and the that and the other thing? 
Are we ready? On your mark has been said. Get set is being said. Go is just ahead. You ready to come out of the blocks running? Straight ahead. Full speed ahead. And you shall remember all the way which eternal your God led you these forty years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Most of you have been in the church 30, 40 years now, some 20, some 50. And you've been being tried, you've been being tested. God is pondering your heart to see which way you'll go. You remember these 20, 30, 40, 50 years? You've wandered in the wilderness of this world, hung up on it and trying to get loose from it. And all that God has put us through to bring us here this day. It's just like it was then. Are we ready to go into the land of promise? We're ready to do our part. He humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the eternal does man live. He took away their food. He took away their drink. Would the same God take away our jobs? Would he take away our sustenance? Would he take away our way of life? So that we learn that we don't live by physical bread alone, but by the Word of God. I think he's in the process of doing that very thing. Now, had he determined in his mind before he took them out in the desert what he was going to do? Yes, he did. When he parted that Red Sea, could he have created a river on the far side of it that would have run right straight to the promised land and they could have had food and fish and water all the way there? Yes, he could have. Did he know how human they were and what they would do and how he would deliver them? Yes, he did. You think he was so stupid he was unaware that there wasn't anything out there to eat? I don't think so. Did he know how they would react? Yes, he did. Did he let them get pretty thirsty and pretty hungry before he said, I'll give you manna. I am God. I can make it rain food out of the heavens. Wow. Ha! Huh. Never thought of such a thing. We have trouble trusting God when we have aches and pains and fears of health problems. We have problems when we fear losing our jobs or not having an income. God said, depart from this world and I will take care of you. We worry about going to the feast. We might lose our job. Do we understand the stakes here, brethren? S-T-A-K-E-S. 
We are being tested to see if we will follow God no matter what happens. That's what he wants to know. And he has to test and try and find out. Now I know, Abraham, what you will do. You will kill your own son if I ask you to. Pretty tough test. You've been in the church 30, 40, 50 years. You haven't been asked to do that. You may have been asked to leave them behind and go seek God's blessing. Lands, houses, children, husbands, wives. You haven't been asked to kill them. Thank God for His mercy. Your raiment waxed not old upon you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Read Hebrews 12. God chastens every son whom he loves. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the eternal your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the eternal your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. The desert is going to bloom as a rose. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and olive oil and honey. A land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. I was reading over that, I think, yesterday, and it occurred to me, well, it was came up in the sermon at a time or two as well. The promised land has iron and copper to make brass. My internet is down, or I would already check to see how much of that you have over in the Middle East, in that little area they call the promised land. Right here in Utah, we have probably the biggest copper mine on earth, Kennecott, south of Salt Lake City. Southern Utah's got Iron County. Wonder how it got that name. There's iron mines there. Wherever the promised land is, there will be copper and iron to be dug out of the ground. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the eternal your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you forget not the eternal your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, make mansions and whatever, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, God is about to open the windows of heaven to those who will tithe, who will give his part to him. Malachi 3 and 4. And he is going to bless his people and turn his face to them in ways that, is beyond, that are beyond our imagination. Are we ready for it? 
Our gold and our silver and our food and everything we have is going to be multiplied beyond our comprehension. That your heart be lifted up and you forget the eternal your God which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water, who brought you forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble you, and that he might prove you to do you good at your latter end. The blessing is to extend a thousand generations to their latter end. Our end is in sight, our latter end. It's just ahead of us. And you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Isaiah 23 talks about the wealth of Tyre being given to God's people. Last verse of Isaiah 23. But you shall remember the eternal your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant when he swore to your fathers, as it is this day, and I repeat, as it is this day. And it shall be, if you do at all forget the eternal your God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Your prayers for deliverance to be accounted worthy will be ignored. As the nations which the eternal destroys before your face, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the eternal, your God, to be continued.